everyone, and welcome to this conversation presented by White House Custom Color. I'm Jed Toffer. Thanks for listening. You know, my wife Vicki and I have owned and operated our photography studio, V Gallery, for 20 years now. White House has been our lab for the last 16 of those years, and we could not be happier. White House is a family-run business, just like ours. If you haven't already, check them out at whcc.com. And if you want to drop me a line, feel free to email me at jed at whcc.com. I remember discovering what eventually became the educational juggernaut Creative Live. So many amazing instructors, so much wonderful content. But one of the things that stood out to me the most were the hosts, Kenna Klosterman and, at the time, Susan Roderick. They both had such wonderful personalities. I felt drawn to them and therefore more to Creative Live itself. You never know how someone like that's going to be in real life, though. And so I also remember the joy of discovering that Kenna and Susan were genuine. Their charm and charisma weren't just a facade for the cameras. Because of that, I was super happy when Kenna agreed to sit with me for an interview. I didn't know what to expect as we hadn't really mapped out what we were going to cover. But I think that what came out was authentic and so very helpful. And in hindsight, I think we should never be surprised when an authentic person has an authentic conversation. Who are you? Where are you from? What do you do? All the all the stuff. Okay, uh, I'm Kenna Klosterman, and I am the host of Creative Live. Have a podcast on Creative Live as well called mm-hmm. We Are Photographers, mm-hmm. and I am also a travel photographer. I lead photo tours, as well as retreats uh, that are not photography, and I like mustard on my French fries. Oh, is that right? Mm-hmm. I also like mustard on my really? french fries. Really? I'm not a big ketchup french fry guy. Neither am I. I like ranch on my french fries. Uh, not so much. Mustard only. Yeah. Well, no, I'll do like aioli or... Aioli on french fries is delicious. I don't like mayonnaise alone, though. No mayonnaise. No plain mayonnaise. On anything? On anything. Oh. So I had a bad huge. experience. I'm a big... Ma- oh, you had a bad mayonnaise experience? Yeah. I don't even remember it specifically, but I remember <laughs> that, just know. that I had when a kid. Something, her- something horrible happened with mayonnaise. Well, and when you're a kid, you don't like put your lunch in a refrigerator. Mm-hmm. And I think I had a sandwich that maybe would have been sitting. Oh, one of those. In the heat. Enough said. I get it. <laughs> I understand completely. <laughs> I live um, in Seattle, Washington. Right. And how long have you been there? I've been in Seattle for... Since 2000, I've been in Seattle since 2005, and it's 2019, right. so uh, 14 years. And where were you before that? Right before that, I was in Minneapolis. What? Did you know that? I did not. Where yep. at? I, uh, I worked for General Mills. Oh my goodness. I had, See, this is great. Yeah. This is what I want to know. And um, so I lived in Tangletown. I don't know where that is. Uh, which is a little neighborhood near Lake Harriet. Okay. So one Tangletown. Of the, that's what up, they call it. I was up around Harriet all the time. Tangletown. Pretty sure. Well, I don't know. This I'm, was a while ago. You you were there. I wasn't. <laughs> okay. And I bought a house by myself in Minneapolis after going to business school, as you do when I was thirty. <laughs> well, of course. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> so we're about the same age. Mm-hmm. We might be really close to the same age. When's your birthday? 
January the 3rd, 1975. Ooh, I'm older than you. No. Yep, May 12th, 1974. Okay, so barely. Barely, but okay. I'm older. Okay, okay, <laughs> a little bit. All right. So, yes, uh, I was in Minneapolis for uh, barely over a year. Oh, you weren't there very long. Nope. You were, and you bought, you bought a house there? <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes, sir. <laughs> As you do when you're yeah. 30, just graduating Jump from in, grad school. Buy a house in a different city. Where were you? Okay, go backwards. Where were you before that? I was in Philadelphia. Is that where you're born? No, L.A. Born and raised in Los Angeles. L.A., Philadelphia. L.A., uh, Berkeley, UC Berkeley, oh. under, undergrad. So okay. I lived in the Bay Area. Right. And then back to L.A. and then moved to rural Pennsylvania, Bucks County. Why? To work that? for two fine art photographers when I was 22. And I lived on a 100-acre horse farm, L.A. girl, for six years. What? You have a crazy story. <laughs> what was that like? It was crazy. Uh, yes. I, I drove my 1984 Jetta out there. Uh-huh. And then when winter came uh, and the back uh, floorboards or whatever you call it uh, behind my front seats, there was a leak. And so I had like ice in my car. On, <laughs> it was iced over on the floor. And... Somebody who I knew on the farm drilled a hole <laughs> through the seat so that it could like Are drain you, out. So it could drain? Yeah. And then I got scared. I growing up in LA, I don't know how to I didn't know how to drive in snow. So I bought a uh, big full size Bronco. Yeah. Can you imagine like twenty three year old Kenna driving a full size Bronco? Pennsylvania mm-hmm. in the winter. Where I because I had to drive through a creek to get to the photographer's home which is where they once again as you do right so you right not there no like not one of the covered bridges but like drive through the water you're like through the water right so the jetta with holes in the back (laughs) weren't doing very well (laughs) why are you driving that jetta you need to get yourself an suv so la girl gone uh to i lived in the for the first uh couple years i lived in the lower barn in a little efficiency that on the other side of my bedroom wall was a horse in its stall. And on the other side of my kitchen was the, was the, I'm trying to think of an alternative word, truck that they go and clean the stalls with. Oh, the manure truck. Manure. Thank you. The manure truck that they clean the stalls with. And so that would start up at 4 a.m. every morning. It was your alarm clock. And, uh, and the first time I went back to L.A. and opened up my suitcase and I was like, this is what everything I own smells like. Yeah, of course. <laughs> right. That's what happens. But uh, I only worked for the fine art photographers for over a year and then they couldn't afford to pay me anymore. Oh. And so then I got another job and I was making more than $10 an hour and everything I could learn and $5 an hour, everything I could learn in the dark room with them because yeah. they are a large film, uh, large format film photographers and uh, did contact prints and uh, beautiful, amazing work. Anyway, I then could afford an upgrade to the cottage on the farm, same farm. Uh, that was like a two bedroom uh, little cottage where they would have events. And so there was a water jump that was right in front of my house. So I'd sit on my porch and like get coffee and sit there and watch the people compete. This is 
it's 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 like you're making it up. I feel like at age twenty four. I feel like twenty five. So it's always been photography for you, yes. though, or photography related. Correct. Except for I guess the little General Mills stint, but maybe you were even were you photographing in Minneapolis? And no, no. Okay. Now I, I I had gone and gotten my MBA in marketing. Okay. And uh, because I had been living in rural Pennsylvania still, right. I was at that point uh, twenty eight, and I had. After that, in between, I had worked for a, after the photographers, well, I did three days as uh, working at a restaurant, and then I quit. <laughs> as, as people do. This, like, is, this is all just normal. This is not for me. <laughs> well, it was this Italian restaurant, and they pooled the tips based on your seniority. Oh. And so these, like, 15-year-olds who would, or maybe 17-year-olds who were just, like, working there to get money to, for the gap... They were, they were getting the most tips, and I was working for like three dollars an hour, plus minimal tips. Sounds like it's so terrible. I was system. like, this is not going to work for me right, anyway. Right. So, eventually, I was I was working with uh, an entrepreneur, and uh, so I was his first employee, and I worked for him and his company. We built it up to like twenty five people, uh, oh and it was in the area of intellectual property consulting for the telecom industry oh my and so i was there for for six years and then it was about time to i was in between new york and philly so i could get my city fixes Mm -hmm. but i then got to the point like okay how am i going to get out of this and my sister and her husband had gone to we're at business school and i saw how much they were traveling all over the world yeah and so that was part of my rationale. Like I'm an anthropology major right. in undergrad. Uh, I never had expected to go get my MBA, uh, but I did see it as a stepping stone, as a path. And so when you graduate from your University of Pennsylvania, you uh, have a lot of bills to pay for yourself. Yeah. And you basically are taking a mortgage out on yourself for yeah. two years. Right. And uh, unless you were a banker or consultant who had a lot of money coming into it, right. I was not. I was living on a farm in <laughs> rural right. Pennsylvania. Right, next to a horse. Well, for a while, next for to a while. horse. Right. Uh, and so anyway, so I applied and, um, and got in. And so, uh, so that was amazing. But then I went into brand management, product management. And General Mills was a great place to get hired as you know, being in that, right. in that realm. Right. So I marketed frozen pie crust. <laughs> I just love how you say it. With there's, a big pause. There's cert- well, there's, there's certain moments that you want, that you wish people could see the other person. Yes, there are. So from, from frozen pie crust, you somehow made it to Seattle. Correct. And there was a little bit of, um, of refrigerated cookies in between. Oh, of course. Because I was... In the Pillsbury division. Right. So it was frozen pie crust. I invented a cookie. The, the, that was my... The, the, a Pillsbury cookie? I created a cookie. Yes. <laughs> Do they still sell it? No. Oh. <laughs> but I'm, it's one of the things I'm most proud of. Can you I just really tell you? It, yeah. can, I, can I tell you quickly? Get, it, get after it. Okay. So uh, I was working for in the... Um, they're called in and outs uh, So uh, they're holiday cookies. So things that you only that are seasonal. Oh that, right. Uh, the okay. category like is a limited run. In and yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. So seasonal. 
And so um, they're all based on a holiday, generally speaking. So you've got your uh, your Halloween cookie and you've got your Christmas right. cookie and yeah. they come in maybe a month in advance and then a week after everything's on sale and then they leave. So there was a gap in between the 4th of July cookie, which was also the Memorial Day cookie, so same like flag cookie, yeah. to the Halloween cookie. Uh-huh. And so it, instead of trying to sell more of these other cookies, it's like, okay, what can we, what new product can we slate in that sort of August, September time frame? So that was the business challenge. Yes. So what would you do? Labor Day cookie. What would that be? <laughs> I don't know. It'd be the same as the Memorial Day cookie. <laughs> yeah, okay, let's see. August and September. Like a fall cookie. A fall cookie? So the biggest merchandising time of the year in August, yeah. now even more into July as well, is back to school. Back to school cookie. And so I came up with the sports cookie. The sports cookie. Yes. So sports are appealing to both boys and girls. And so um, it was a soccer ball, baseball, football. Were there there separate cookies? Cookies, yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But then then I left the company. (laughs) And so when I was then moving to Seattle and worked at Getty Images, the product marketer who took over and actually brought the cookie to market sent me a big like refrigerated box of all your cookies. My cookies. That's awesome. It was pretty awesome. So, but why did you go to Seattle? I left uh, Minneapolis. I was not happy. Okay. Despite uh, coming I, up with the cookies. Despite coming up with the cookies, right. I was incredibly depressed. Oh. And felt like a fake felt like a failure, felt Is like I, right? I didn't know what I was doing. And my sister and her husband lived in Seattle. And so I went to visit during the month of July, which is when you fall in love with Seattle. It is. And uh, actually, I had that was right before I started the Minneapolis job mm-hmm. um, after graduating. And spent a month there. My sister had her first child. It was awesome. Oh, wow. And so I was visiting them. A year later or so and I went and had an informational interview with my sister's friend who was working at Getty Images because mm. in my mind I was like man marketing and photography that would be a dream job perfect mix for you yes and so it turned out that they had one position open that was for you know the product marketing work right. that I do and the level that I was at and it had an opening. And so after we talked, he was like, well, would you be interested in applying for this now? Because in my mind, it was like, I was I wanted to be in Minneapolis for three to five years. Mm-hmm. That was kind of my time frame. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, which is again, going back to like buying the house, like in that day, <laughs> like it was everybody, the whole idea was, you're dumb if you rent. Like, right. It, it, that was the right. logic back right. then. Right. Anyway, uh, so... So I applied from Minneapolis and ended up getting the job. And so then I was like, well, I'm really not happy here. My sister and her her family live in Seattle. Mm -hmm. Uh, I want to get back to the West Coast. Mm -hmm. I always knew I would get back to the West Coast. And so 
there I am. So I got the job getting images, was there for a year and a half, was then super depressed and anxious and um, took so much so that like couldn't get out of bed. Really? Took a leave of absence for uh, mental health and uh, three months later didn't decided not to go back. And then I went and worked at Expedia. Okay. Yep. Because after photography, travel is mm-hmm. my thing. Mm-hmm. It's my jam. Mm-hmm. And a very dear friend, Eleanor, hired me, which was great. One of my business school friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I was still like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm a fake. Really? And really? Don't we all? Well, to some degree, yes. To some degree, I think I'm a fake all the time. Is that what? Yes. Oh. But I took it in my mind to the extreme. Right. To where it was debilitating. Uh, And anyway, so my friend hired me. I worked at Expedia. I was a consultant. Uh, And so, um, but then I, about a year into it, a little less, uh, I decided to go travel around the world for a year. Sell everything. Well, I kept my condo. um, But... Uh, rented, rent that out, sold my car uh, with two friends and traveled and photographed for a year. All over the place. All over the world. And then I came back. That was 2008. The economy tanked. Right. I remember. So I felt pretty good because instead of my money disappearing overnight, I spent it. Yeah. Traveling around the world. <laughs> you got something out of it. I did. Right. And so when I came back, I was like, now what? Right. Because, you know, in my mind, I was going to come back and do the photography thing. Right. And but I thought, this is a bad time to try to do this. Let me mm-hmm. do what's on my resume. And I got a product marketing job at T-Mobile mm-hmm. in a cubicle. Mm. How yeah. did that work out for you? Six months later, my aunt passed away. Uh, and I was there when she died of breast mm-hmm. cancer. And mm-hmm. I was in the room. And, I, and she was only 53 and oh my. I said, I am not living. I was depressed again. Yeah. Turns out there was a pattern. Yes. And it wasn't them. It was me. And I was not made for the corporate world. Right. And so I decided I took another leave of absence and then decided I can't do this. And that's when I found Creative Life. And you've been there ever since. Mm-hmm. And what year was that? Oh, 2010. 2010. So January 2010, uh, my best friend Susan Roderick, who was also host of Creative Live, walked yes. through the door. I'd seen a tweet from Glazers, which is our camera store, about yeah. free photography classes. And since I was not working, uh, we could go to the 11 right. a.m. on Tuesdays and Thursdays <laughs> classes and sit in the studio audience. <laughs> and, and now it's... Nine plus nine and a half years later. Wow. So you, you had a lot of, you had some reoccurring themes mm-hmm. that are, are very interesting to me because you seem to me to be the opposite of what you were struggling with or what you say you were struggling with, like feeling fake. Mm-hmm. You seem as genuine as a person gets, right? You seem the opposite of fake you seem very authentic and yet 
you, you at various times struggled with feeling fake. That seems like it doesn't make sense in my mind. Well, it's interesting because it was, uh, it's interesting that you put it that way. Uh, and, but I think that the feeling f- fake was not a, it, it was, it, it's the imposter syndrome. So it's imposter the, syndrome. yeah, it's the, I am not good enough. You know, I'm not smart enough. I don't have oh. a, the, a real business sense. Um, oh. you know, these are the, all the things that I was telling myself that I was, you know, I was, I was not the, as business minded say in my mind again, right. like as right. all these other people that I did go to Wharton with, like I was like okay. the poet and then, yeah. um, and then even in the jobs that I had, you know, I was putting these expectations on myself that even my managers weren't. So like when they were surprised that I came and said, yeah, these things, sure. You know, meanwhile, I thought they all saw me flailing, but you they thought didn't. Everybody knew. You I thought, thought you everybody thought you were knew. Exposed. Right. Right. So, so I was, I was being authentically my self, other than in my mind. Oh wow! That was a fake. Wow. Which I think so many successful. I, I know there are a lot of successful people who have felt that way as well. well who I had on the podcast who are like in my rock stars. Right. And, right. um, are, right. are, but they're just human people as well right. with imposter syndrome. And right. they, you know, it's when you think somebody's going to find you out, figure you right. out. Right. No, when you put it that way, then there's like this, there's this little thing inside of me that resonates and I'm immediately chewing it away. I'm immediately like, go away. <laughs> I don't well, want- that's what you have to learn. And that's... What part do you have to learn? That that little flutter or like, oh, I'm resonating with that. That that, that insecurity will always be there. And yeah, I, it's, see it it's, like, I see it like an imp in mm, my mind, mm. like a little devil. Yeah. He kind of shows up. Right. And I'm trying to... Here's the thing. I believe that he will always show up. It's just learning how to deal with him when he shows up. So we're human. Like that's not going to go away. Okay. It's the, it's the learning the tools on how to process that and what to do with it. That, um, is really has become kind of the focus of everything that I talk about, read about, think about, feel about, uh, these days has been this whole journey, um, of, uh, of learning how to be human. So going through those circumstances and essentially, for lack of a better term, surviving through them, like making it to the other side of those, mm-hmm. has helped you, what, um, nurture, create tools, so to speak, to deal with what you feel is just something that's there and part of the human condition. Correct. Right? Um, what, what sort of tools have you developed to handle that those times 
So a number of things, and it's all been, um, it's all a process, and I'm continuing to learn new things all the time, which right. is amazing, right. and I love. Uh, you know, it, it started with your, you know, typical talk therapy, okay. uh, and, you know, and having, having that. Um, I just, I, and I've, I've said this before, but I um, am diagnosed bipolar uh, okay. Bipolar two, which is different than bipolar one. Okay. Um, I actually didn't know there were two. There are uh, okay. two. Is more of the um, the depression that has happened over recurring and over a long period of time. Okay. So it's more depression based okay. um, than the mania side. Okay. So bipolar one um, is generally somebody who has um, had uh, psychotic episodes. Okay. Um, that may have hospitalized them or, sure. um, and has kind of, uh, whereas the two, you could call it like recurring depression. Okay. Uh, so, but so the, the typical therapy, um, was super helpful in like the critical times, but yeah. you, that's not enough. I mean, you have to, um, you have to learn how to manage it minute by minute, you know? Right. And so, uh, it's so more consistently, like on a, like you don't just, Oh, go to get help when there's, uh, there's a crisis. Correct. You, you, you go through a process to maybe avoid the crisis. Is, Correct. is it like a preventative? Correct. Right. Okay. You go from, you know, being in like the acute phase. Right. To then, hopefully, the maintenance and preventative. Maintenance and preventative. Right. Sure, that makes sense. Right. So um, it's you know a lot. It's a lot of people talk it right now, but meditation is a huge one. Is that okay? So that's a so learn. That's a thing. Um, so took a meditation course again with my best friend Susan. Yes. Uh, and at the same time as along with another uh, a number of other things, whether that was yoga, uh, but. Simultaneously, uh, I also had to, we're one and the same, but I I was suffering from uh, serious back issues uh, from uh, chronic back issues. Like from from the stress, like it wasn't related? Well, I didn't know it was at the time. I didn't know what it was at the time. I had had back surgery when I was 20. Oh, okay. Uh, And so from a ruptured disc, L4, L5. And so, so I came to learn through physical suffering that about mind body connection. Yes. And that, I mean, I was the last time I was in the hospital for five days, not being able to move uh, without being in excruciating pain. Mm -hmm. However, my, my saving surgeon, uh, who wouldn't do surgery, uh, he was a, a he would only do surgery um, if it if he felt that you absolutely needed it, yeah. and so he was actually trying to change the way that 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 I was going to say the industry, but that the that the the field of neurosurgeons look at. Uh, back issues those issues right because it's not while there can even be structural issues that's not always the answer Mm -hmm. and so so this doctor uh, who is amazing um, and has a whole program talk about uh, back in control Mm. and so you this concept of you have to take control of whatever your medical 
health, mental health, whatever it is, life, you have to take it back in control. Right. And so I learned through him all of these tools for unlearning your physical pain. So you can unlearn pain because it's in your brain and it's your brain sending your body signals and you have neural pathways from your brain that learn patterns and they get stronger and stronger over time. So one of the things that I, that I use as an example is say you have your two thumbs like on the table and you've been hitting one of them with a hammer over and over and over and over and over and over and then, but not the other one. Right. And then you hit both thumbs at the same time with the same hammer, the same amount of pressure. The one that has been hit over and over and over will feel that pain faster and stronger, even though it's the same hammer hitting both of them because those neural pathways have built up to learn the pain. Okay. And so you can create new neural pathways so that when triggered, that pain signal is no longer going to that thumb. So do you, that, and that's what you do through meditation and through yoga and through exercise to some degree. So it turns out, right, that you're, um, that you are changing your brain and thereby unlearning the pain. There are other things. Um, one of the things he taught me was about, uh, freestyle writing. Oh, and this one is huge. And so he, the surgeon, um, almost committed suicide. And so he was recovering from depression and all these things as well. And so he learned these things through his himself. And so and he's a surgeon. Correct. Turns out that neurosurgeons have a much higher incidence of suicide than regular people. Really? And or regular people. I mean, than people who are not neurosurgeons. Right. <laughs> Others. Right. Uh, and uh, and because of the stress and uh, of course and, sure and all of that. Uh, in any case, so if you start writing just freestyle and often like negative things start coming out and you allow them to come out and then you so say you sit down every day write for 10 minutes a day and you just write you just write and and with knowing that you're going to then rip it up and throw it away oh so you're, no one you're, no one's gonna see it no one's gonna, gonna see it gone. it's going to be you can burn it you uh-huh. can rip it into shreds throw uh-huh. it away but the concept is is when you're having these negative thoughts and it's and it often like you might not sit down be thinking negative thoughts but you kind of just start writing and crazy stuff comes out and you have the freedom to write whatever you want to write right and then you rip it up and throw it away and that creates new neural pathways from those triggering thoughts into your arm into your physical like writing it out instead of going over to my back where i was holding all of that before so it's like an outlet mm-hmm. physically it's like a vent it's like a vent it's like a vent you're letting it out correct now uh i most recently have been learning more about something called transformational breathing which 
again, best friend Susan introduced me to. Okay. And it is event. And it is a, a this type of breathing that's actually facilitated. Uh, and you breathe for at least for starters for 40 minutes nonstop. So you're taking your inhale, you know, right after you take your exhale, you're not holding anything. You're just nonstop. So you're super oxygenating your body and it releases all these things that you've stored in your body. What's it called? Transformational Transformational breathing. breathing. And there's a lot of different breathing tools out there, um, especially right now. This one I, you know, I had never heard of. Most people have Well, I never think about breathing tools because I just breathe. Correct. And the breath is an incredible tool. And you breathe and you don't think about it. Of course. But when you do intentionally breathe, which is the same thing. I mean, meditation is, can be, there's lots of different types. Sure, that's can be part of it, right? sitting and breathing. Okay. Okay. And... It's actually very simple. It's not easy to do. And there's a lot of reasons. It's simple, but not easy. It's not this Correct. complex formula. No, it's the but breath. It requires what? Like a discipline or a will? Sure. Or what you got to yes. like. It requires just like anything as being a photographer or, you know, to anything you're doing or learning. Right. Uh, discipline, uh, commitment. Um, so I'm not perfect at all of course uh, right. in terms of this this discipline but the the what i'm coming to learn about what we can heal and integrate oh, mm-hmm. uh on our own mm-hmm. and coming back around to back in control his name is dr hanscom mm-hmm. that we have all of these tools inside of us already and we just people are learning how to use them and the brain part is what's so fascinating my mom uh got cancer and she has been and she's doing amazingly well two years later two plus years later and she has just taken a deep dive into all of these tools and modalities and uh, one of them that's fascinating is is uh quantum healing Quantum healing. Correct. All right, I'm I'm listening. So there's a guy named Dr. Joe Dispenza. Okay. He's getting really popular right now as well. And the concept is that we can alter uh, our energy, our vibrations at a quantum level to where we can almost reset ourselves. Um, in terms of our body from things that are incohesive. He talks about um, cohesiveness. And so you're, we're all vibrational beings. Okay. That's what we are is, and he teaches you about what an atom is and the, the field of energy around that. Right. And that, you know, you break it out into getting more complex and then that's your physical body. And then that's like how we're all relating in the world is actually vibrational beings. So if you can learn to then harness and reset, if you will, um, all those things that have gone out of whack, which you can do through 
meditation and focusing your energy and your intention on your energy centers in your body that can then, and then you allow your body to do the work. I see. This sounds more complex. This is more complex. Than breathing. <laughs> this is a little bit more complex. I, and I can't even fully describe it because I'm still in the midst of trying to understand. You're and learning learn it, it and, and going through it. And, and Correct. Okay. All of these things. Um, but it's, it's what I talk about every day. It's what I um, am constantly sort of a seeker. You I know? can see you're excited about it. Like your face lights up as you're, as you're talking about this. So it seems to me like it's made a big, an impact. It's like it's had an impact on your life. It's transformational. Right. Um, like, like transformational breath work. Like right. it really is. They say that the a set one session is like two years of therapy uh, because we are physically holding all of these traumas yeah. in our body in whatever yeah. way that manifests. Right. I, and, can, and, I can see that. Yeah. And you have the power to release that, to vent it out. So when you and Susan have these trips, is this a part of that? Like, mm -hmm. is it? Yeah. Like so we lead retreats. Uh, we call them their Ken and Susan's retreats for the yeah. mind, heart, body, and soul. Okay. I've seen that stuff. Mm -hmm. I've seen you guys talk about this stuff. You go right. to different places and. Yep. Right. Costa Rica. We're about to go to Nepal. Next year uh -huh. we're doing Bali and we're about to announce Italy. By the time this podcast is oh, out, we're doing nice. Tuscany. Oh, uh, nice. We're taking over our villa, and so we f we build these uh, these retreats. Kind of the foundation is two meditations a day, one in the morning, one later in the day. Especially in Tuscany, it's going to be before dinner <laughs> because I like to be calling this trip meditation and wine. <laughs> now, forgive me. Are these mostly uh, for is it, is it all women that, that go on these trips, or do you guys are they co-ed? So our our first Costa Rica one was all women. Right. And Nepal is not. Nepal is co-ed. Mm -hmm. And Bali will be co-ed. Mm -hmm. So we were kind of testing um, and trying different things. But it's mostly women uh, who, are, who are drawn to us uh, and who are drawn to the, that, exper that experience. Right. And there's something different that happens when women are together and it's just women. Well, that's why then I was asking because I, I believe that, right? Like, I mean, I know what it's like to be in a co-ed environment doing something along these lines, you know, something, um, uh, whether it's therapeutic or, or whether it's spiritual or whatever. And, and it, it, there's a different vibe when it's co-ed as opposed to when it's for me, all men. Right. And so you, you take that into account, you know, like if you know, if you're going to be with all women, then it's going to there are going to be things that are a certain way. Correct. Um, so we're testing it out. But you don't, you don't like force it to be one way or the other. Just, the, fr uh, the first one was women okay. only. That was designed. It was advertised to, as right, and designed right, as. Right. So we'll see with this next one. Right. How right. it goes. I mean, and you're learning. What's different. Yeah. Like that's part of the process. That is absolutely the process with any business period. Right. With, or with every day of our life, you so know, this is where your, your passion is here. It mm -hmm. seems to me, right? Like I know you, that you're passionate about photography mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and the business surrounding that and mm -hmm. all the different little intricacies within, um, and you're, you're certainly a creative, but you have this, this other piece that's, uh, it's evolving. 
yeah, it's kind of like becoming right now. Mm-hmm. It is. And, and it's exciting. And, and it is taking everything that I've learned as a host on Creative Live for 10 years. Interesting, yeah. And, and looking at it in a different way. Mm-hmm. Because going back to Creative Live and from the early days even, what we always saw were successful classes were the ones that had the transformational elements to them. And I used to call it actionable tears. Not tears like l- layers, crying like tears. Tears coming. Tears coming right. down your face. Right. That when people were so moved after the end of a three-day course that they were in tears yeah. because they knew that they now had actionable tools to go and transform themselves. Right. And so a lot of the classes you may not know that you're, you might think that you're learning photography, but what you're really learning is something else. Oh, there's so much more. Right. I see what you're saying. And so through all of that, those were the classes that I was most drawn to. I would say the, the speakers, the educators that I resonated with the most. Mm. And when I started to lead photography tours, which I also do, Mm. Uh, and have done way more of those than these retreats as of now. Uh, the What I found is the through line is that I thrive on being a guide. So when I talk about what my role as a host on Creative Live was, and, mm. and even with a podcast, yeah. as like you're doing right now, you're the guide to right. you know having this conversation. Right. But it's really holding space for people. Huh. And so... In the classroom, you know, I would be the guide for the educator who is teaching. I've been your guide. You have been, yes. And when you were teaching, right. um, I'm a guide for the students who are in the, the studio audience and helping them through the experience. And I'm a guide for the people who are watching at home. And so, and all I'm doing is really is holding space for those people to be actually transforming themselves. Huh. And so, through whatever tools they're sure. learning. And so I have found that my why is creating spaces and experiences for people to have transformational experiences. I totally see it. And so it's just, it's continuing to grow and form in different ways. And again, super excited about, you know, what is becoming with these, with these retreats, with, with these retreats, with, right. with Susan, right. um, and the sort of partnership that we're, um, going to be building out on a, you know, on a, on a business level. Where do people go to find all that stuff? <laughs> do you have a website? <laughs> I mean, I've seen it on the social media. Yeah. I've seen you guys talk about it. Right. So this is the thing. Like I, um, <laughs> you know, I, I have been working full time and so yeah. this has been like the the side uh the side business hustle. the right. side hustle right. uh and so uh so now i'm going to be spending even you know more time on it mm-hmm. i'm actually um going to be going part-time at creative live mm-hmm. to be able to put more effort into this put effort yeah. and take everything that i've learned for 10 years right. i know all the things right that i can be doing right 
you just the real learning comes in when you actually do them do it, and yes. put it into place. Yeah. So I haven't been doing. So no, we don't have a website yet. We're still kind of come up with a name and a brand sure. and a. Sure. Uh, so right now we're just using our personal uh, social media, right. uh, our websites, and then we make landing pages for the different uh, retreats that we have. Mm-hmm. But through both myself, um, my website is kennakphoto.com. Mm-hmm. I'm at Kenna Klosterman on Instagram and then uh, Susan is Susan Roderick. Yeah. Uh, And so things are through, through both of our socials. But by the time this podcast comes out, who knows? Right. Right. There may be something. And if there is, I'll put it on there. Exactly. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) You're You're so welcome. (laughs) But for now, um, there's, it's really, it's exciting because there was always something, you know, people used to call us like some people used to call us the dynamic duo uh, at Creative Live. And so there's, when we would host side by side and there's a, as best friends, like there's a certain energy Yeah. and that you know, that people were attracted to for yeah. some, whatever reason, we're very different. Yeah. And so it's, um, yeah, but you complement each other. We really complement well. each other. There's a chemistry there, That's I right. think. Right. That's right. And so, um, so we're really excited to see, you know, what happens when now, when we start doing that again, but talking sure. about different subject matter, um, because ultimately, uh, both of us believe that again, we are energetic vibrational beings. Mm-hmm. And if we can learn how to really speak with our hearts, Right. Because the heart actually has a different language than the brain. Yep. So the brain has a, is a thinking brain mm-hmm. and the heart is emotion feeling, mm-hmm. which is actually vibrational. Like our hearts are the first thing in our body that beats. Mm-hmm. And when the heart stops, the body stops. Yeah. The brain can still be going. I just, somebody just told me this the other day when I was talking about this type of thing, right. coach Mike, I guess said it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, wanting to, to talk more, just, we, we just want to talk to people about what we're learning and share that and create spaces for people to have those tools and hopefully actionable tears. I wish you the absolute best. It's, it's, it, this has been like a journey for me the last 45 minutes or an hour. I don't even know how 49 minutes to see like you go through kind of where you've been, the ups and the downs, and then to see it kind of culminate, you know, in the last, we'll say 10 years or so, and then into this, um, I'm super interested to see where you guys take this. Thank you. I'm very excited for you. Thank you. We're excited. Yeah. Yeah, you should be. And I will still be photographing all along the way. Of course. <laughs> and it's a lot of photographers that are that we know. Right. And so, um, so there are all those you right. know, elements. And photography is a meditative tool. Of course. Photography is is a way that I experience the world. An outlet, even so to speak. It's right? a like, maybe we can call it event. I don't know. Event, sure. <laughs> Whatever. I, I think that all makes really a lot of sense, and it and it and again, it resonates with me. I understand what you're saying. Um, and yeah. just one more thing on the, the creativity part is I'm coming to to learn that I can I can use the words interchangeably, spirituality and creativity. Oh, I see. So if the next time you're listening to somebody talking about creativity and uh-huh. we all have, you know, even our tagline at Creative Live, there's a creator in all of us. Uh, we... 
and the creativity comes from within and we have all the tools that we need within us and we all have a unique you know offering and all of that like that's also on the spiritual level interesting the same thing yeah same message yeah, you, you, you and I have a whole other podcast to do. I think at some point. I think point. so. <laughs> wow! Thanks again. Um, this was great. I really appreciate your time, and I'm going to keep my eyes peeled to see what you guys continue to do. Thank you so much, Jed. And P.S. I love White House custom color. <laughs> True story. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>